0: We're talking, the theme in our cell groups this week is going to be healing wounded history. Healing wounded history. And I don't think there can be a deeper or more painful wound than one between a family. And in this case, Jacob and Esau, we see that reconciliation. And it's a wonderful reconciliation. And Andrew's reading there just kind of of explained it all to us. But just to summarize the actual depth of the wound that was there before, is that's the real beauty in this. We may have wounds in our own families that maybe don't involve death threats, um, but are pretty, can be deep as well. Disagreements over Christmases, disagreements over money or inheritance, or even uh, Brexit. So that's probably the big one. Um, so what I would have thought was if we could study this and see if we can pull out any lessons for our own wounds between relationships, work, or family. So if we just summarise quickly, Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Esau, uh, redhead, hairy, and athletic, much like myself. Uh, obviously, he's my favourite. Uh, and then you've got Jacob. Uh, well, if you call Esau, Esau, is like the jock. You know, in America, they have jocks. So basically, and then you've got Jacob, who's smooth-skinned, uh, possibly a little bit of a mummy's boy. Uh, some may call him a geek possibly uh, so you've got real contrasts and classic brothers they've been conflicting their whole lives so obviously they're twins Esau was born first but Jacob was holding onto his ankle uh, shows that struggle even from birth and then you've got the the birthright, where Esau comes back from a busy day outside uh, and he's starving like many men he's very hungry and when he wants that food he can't think straight. And uh, so what happens is he says, oh, can I have that lovely stew you've got there? And Jacob sees his opportunity and says, yeah, sure, you can have it, but you have to give me your birthright. Now, the birthright is obviously worth a lot more than just a bowl of stew. Uh, you get twice the inheritance. So I don't know how much that was, but that was probably equivalent of thousands of pounds. It's probably the worst deal ever. Uh, and the bit I love most is in there, just probably a bit of an aberration. He says... Uh, he actually says he agrees he says will you swear to give me your birthright if I give you this stew and he sort of says well I'm famished I'm dying of hunger possibly a bit melodramatic but he says okay I agree and then what you see is the the bit one of my favourite bits is where he actually says um, so he says what I'll do is I'll give you he says here's the lentil soup and some bread and some bread he throws in the bread for free which I love I think that's lovely um, and then you've got the blessing. Now this is probably the most tragic of all, and this leads to that death threat, where Isaac's on his deathbed, and he is—he's um, basically he says, "I want to give my blessing to my eldest son." And so he says, "Isaac, go out, get some food. We'll have a great meal, and then I'll give you an awesome blessing." Rebecca sees the opportunity. Jacob cuts in and deceives his father by pretending he is Esau, so he takes the blessing instead. He receives. Uh, an amazing blessing and then when Isaac finds out that he's given the blessing to the wrong son, he trembles violently. Now that just shows how upset he is and if you've ever seen your own father tremble violently, uh, you know it's bad. I think that's pretty uh, bad. So you've basically got, he's trembling violently and Esau weeps and he cries out loud and he says please give me a blessing and he can't, he's only given him one blessing. So then essentially what he does is he gives him almost a a, a curse, like he just tells him what is likely to happen, and it's not good. And Esau is so mad, he says, when I finish mourning for my father, I will kill my brother. So you've got, this ends with a death threat, Jacob flees 600 miles to live with his uncle, and then they don't see each other for 20 years. And then we get the reading that Andrew's kindly done for us today, where there's fear, there's nerves, And then you see this beautiful reconciliation with hugs and tears. And essentially they do go go off relatively peacefully. So I was thinking, if you've got conflicts or wounds in your own families or uh, work, what can we learn from this reading here? What can we take out of the Bible for our own lives? So the first thing I was impressed by was, to be honest, Jacob's faith. He is busy planning in the bit before this. He's thinking, right, okay, how can I plan things so that if Esau attacks me, I can split everything up so it's not too bad. But in the midst of all that planning, which I'm sure we've done when we're in fear and distress, as it says, that Jacob is experiencing, he prays. So he looks up, not just in. And he prays this prayer. He says, save me I pray from the hand of my brother Esau for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children so he's afraid and I'll be honest this is my first sermon I'm, I was a little bit I'm very nervous before this and the last thing I want to do is pray Praying's difficult I'm thinking well, I've got to remember my first few lines I don't want to pray but fortunately we did you know a bit hypocritical if I hadn't and, uh, and it does it just puts you at peace and the thing I love is Jacob's not perfect we all know that but He does pray in that moment of distress. And another thing I absolutely love is with when he, before this reading, he is planning what to put before him before he meets Esau. So he knows Esau's got 400 troops coming to meet him. And he says, "Okay, what I'll do is I'll put all my flocks all my herds in front of me and I'll give them as a gift to Esau. That will protect me. That's kind of a, a bribe if you want to kind of make sure this thing goes well. He's kind of planning to deceive as he has done a lot of the time in his life. But then he has the wrestle with God. So his faith, let's hope, goes up a few uh, levels. And then what he does, is he says, you know what? I'm not going to go at the back. I'm going to go at the front. And he leads. So all the gifts are behind him. He's actually in the front now. And he bows seven times to his brother. And then they get this wonderful uh, hug. And it would have taken immense faith and courage to do that, to, to change the plan and go up front. And I love that. Which brings me to the next point. So when we're looking to heal wounds, possibly faith and courage is a big thing as well. Because who wants to face a brother who you know wants to kill you? It's not, you know, he is obeying God with that. And he's using an awful lot of courage to do that. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, says faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. And he takes a big risk by going up front and facing Esau without the gifts. And then there's this humility where he bows seven times before Esau. Bowing seven times is the kind of greeting you would give a king. And Jacob does that. He bows seven times. He's completely humble. He doesn't come in with excuses. He doesn't say, well, it was your fault you took the birthright. You know, that was your deal. Um, and he doesn't say it was Isaac's fault for giving the blessing to the wrong person he should have known. He is hugely humble. He's all about esau not about himself so he's got that humility and the last lesson i think we can pull from this reconciliation is the importance of love i love the fact that esau he gives him this massive hug before he's seen all the gifts and then once he's given that hug he's basically like why have you brought all this stuff what's all this stuff for He's not interested in all that stuff because he didn't see it. He just saw Jacob, and that's all he cared about. And this wonderful reconciliation, which is based on love, not bribes or or money or payback, as Jacob initially thought it may be. So you've got that reconciliation. So that reconciliation alone is something I think we can all take, uh, use as a kind of template for our own families, possibly. But it's not perfect. There are still scars there. You've got, as Andrew said, as Esau then says to Jacob, I'll walk with you, I'll walk with you, I'll go with you guys, I'll, I'll carry on with you guys. And uh, Esau kind of says, oh, well, kind of, you'll, you'll slow, you'll, you'll, I'll slow you down, makes all these kind of excuses. And then he says, I'll see you there, I'll see you there. And then he promptly just hangs a left and leaves Esau to go alone. So this reconciliation, which looks great, actually isn't complete. There's a split. One goes off one way, one goes the other way. And I don't think Jacob, in my opinion, doesn't feel completely comfortable with the reconciliation. He's still slightly awkward about it. And maybe we've had those reconciliations in our own families or wounds where it's kind of healed, but it isn't completely. Which leads me to ask, what may be missing? What may be missing? Maybe there's one thing that's still missing. We've got faith, we've got courage, we've got humility... And we've got love, but maybe there's something missing which led me to um, think of the parable of the prodigal son. Now that's a similar reconciliation involving a father, a birthright and a son, but it may have something that this is missing. So if you remember that the parable of the lost son... You've got a son who he's the second born, so he's not the first born. And he says, I want my inheritance early. I want my birthright now. And that is incredibly humiliating to a father to be told essentially, I'd rather you were, you're better off to me dead than alive. I want the money now. Now, the father says, "Okay, you can have the money. The son goes off and he squanders it. He wastes that birthright and he ends up working in a, a pig farm with hardly anything to eat. And he thinks, he thinks, you know what? Even the servants of my father get better food than I get. Why not go back? It's going to be tough. But what have I got to lose? So he decides I'll go back. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Meteor. Um, so he decides I'll go back. And he goes back to his father. And he's not exactly... There is faith. There's courage. There's some humility. There's got to be humility. And his father embraces him. He runs to him again and gives him this massive hug. But the thing that the prodigal son says, as soon as he's been embraced, he says, forgive me, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. He repents. He repents very, very specifically. I have sinned. And then they pick this big party and you've got uh, a really good reconciliation. We assume. We don't know, but we assume that it is. Jacob never actually repents. He's humble. He's brave. There's love from Esau, but he never actually says, you know what? I was wrong. He he alludes to it, but he never actually says, I have sinned. And I think that level of repentance from the prodigal son allows that reconciliation to possibly be more complete. And it led me to an example from my own life where... About a year and a half ago, I probably had one of the biggest challenges I've had in my life, and it was my Christian journey is only really two years old, and it really pushed my faith to the limit. And I was having a very, very challenging time. It takes uh, a lot to put me kind of on my knees, and this was generally a time where I had, and I really needed the support of friends, family, and and people close to me, and. A member of my family, we had a kind of disagreement over something and, and I was like, I really don't need this now. And I was like, surely she can understand that this is kind of a bit out of context with what I'm going through. And I was just completely wound up, couldn't sleep, I just couldn't think about anything else. It was tearing me apart, especially when something, your family, who you want to support you through hardship... And you think, oh, this is confusing me, I'm not getting the support I needed. And I was so wound up, I had to. I went to my vicar at the church I was at before here, and I said, I need to talk about this. And he said, absolutely, we came around, and I spent for 45 minutes, I basically went on about how bad this person had been to me. And I couldn't believe it, and I'm confused, and what can you help with? And he listened for 45 minutes, and then he said, John opened the Bible to... Luke chapter 6, verse 41. If you've got a Bible, try and find that. (laughs) Luke chapter 6, verse 41. So he listened for 45 minutes and then he said, and whoever finds it first, can you please read it out? Anybody? Yeah, he said... Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? And that was the. And that hit me hard, and I was like, You're kidding me. I was literally, I've done this much wrong, and I felt that the other person had done this much wrong, and I was like, Okay. And he challenged me to pray to be forgiven for what part I had played in this. And that was the hardest prayer I've ever done. I felt weaker than ever before, and I had to pray for forgiveness. And bearing in mind, I was in bits. I couldn't really sleep. I was just kind of a complete mess. And I, But I really trusted this vicar. So I I prayed that prayer, and I prayed for forgiveness. And I really thought about what small part I'd done wrong. And I realized there were things that I'd done wrong. I'd been insensitive, probably had been a bit blunt. And as soon as I had prayed that prayer, asking to be forgiven for the part I played, I felt completely better. Completely better. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I played for repentance in the part I I, I had played and I felt completely better and that blew me away and actually the peace I felt after making that prayer was all I needed. I thought the peace was going to come from the vicar saying you know, that's unbelievable, that's unbelievable, yeah, you know what she's done wrong and actually the peace came from me asking for repentance similar to the prodigal son and that reconciliation came that way. So There's lots of lessons we can draw from wounds, especially within families, and they are difficult. And I think that was one of the hardest prayers I've ever prayed in my life. And I don't know if any of those approaches will help you, but what the Bible is telling us is to trust in God, be brave, be humble and think about the other person, believe in love and compassion, and lastly, repent and look at ourselves. And if that can help any of us heal the wounds in our own families or organisations, then hopefully that would be a good thing. Thank you very much, John. That was great. Thank you.